Hi friends, Logan here, one of your co-hosts with the Better Events Podcast. And in this week's episode, we are diving into an interview we did with a friend of the pod and someone I've personally worked with, Kelly Brown, who is a producer who made her start in TV and then transitioned into live events. And we sit down with her to talk all about her journey both from making that transition from TV to live events to also the challenges and lessons she's learned as a freelancer in the event industry. There's some inspiration in there for you about how to land your dream gig and how to have patience. So we highly encourage you to listen to this episode. Also, if you haven't had a chance to, please consider leaving us a review or sharing this episode with a friend just wherever you listen to podcasts as this helps us grow this community. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. This is Mary Davidson, one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined by Logan Clements, our other co-host. And we are going to get right into our episode today all about um, TV to the Olympics to getting started in event production. And we have a wonderful guest to help represent this today. Uh, Kelly Brown is joining us, and she has more than 20 years experience in live television and live event production in various aspects, internationally and domestic. Her greatest quality is leading and mentoring her team using a collaborative approach that fosters a fun and hardworking environment, which reflects in the quality of shows they produce and the legacy that she leaves, which sounds amazing. So Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything else that you want to add to your introduction? No, Mary, I think you got it. (laughs) Yeah, I love I'm very shy, so I will tell you all that. I am shy. (laughs) Yes. Listeners to kind of dive into why we asked Kelly. One, I'm, I'm Kelly and I have worked together in a number of capacities at international volleyball events, at the Tokyo Olympics, and most recently at the World Games in Birmingham, Alabama this past summer. And I am very fortunate that you said yes to getting in front of the mic because I know you are more comfortable behind the scenes. Um, but we are very excited to have you here to share your story and your knowledge with our listeners. Also friends with Kelly Reed, who is a friend of a pod that we interviewed back in episode 56. And we've uh, linked that in the show notes if you want to listen to that. Um, but I just thank you, Kelly. You have such an interesting background in TV before you got into producing live events. And um, I've definitely picked your brain privately about some tips as being a contractor freelancer um, that, again, I just knew we needed to have you on the podcast. So I feel thank like... You. To start us off, uh, do you mind sharing with our listeners like how you first got started in TV? No, not at all. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's a long story, <laughs> I think. But but when it happened, I was a traveler. So before, like after high school, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to go into finance and banking and sort of that route, um, the business route. And then, um, but I always had a, I had like a, a love for group projects and things in school that were like team related. I played a lot of sports um, growing up. And then, um, you know, I was fortunate we had, we would have season tickets to hockey games here and football games. And, and uh, I always thought it would be so cool to be on the sidelines. I'd be like need, you know, you'd see everyone walking around and I didn't know what role I would be in, but I thought it would be neat. Um, And then uh, after high school and before university, I decided to just go traveling and I thought I would go for a year. It ended up being five 
Um, and part of that story um, during that time, um, I got involved in like skydiving. So I was learning to skydive and at the drop zone and I was living at the drop zone. So I was a bit of a DZ bum, like just some, like someone who lived at drop zones <laughs> in my early twenties. And um, a lot of the guys, there were girls as well, like that were, you know, we, they were, have cameras. So when either students went up or just to record their skydives, um, there was a lot of video production that was going on. And at night at the drop zone, those of us that lived there would, you know, cut videos together, make videos. Um, and so I started to learn a little bit more about that. And then we took a trip over to South Africa. And one of the guys I was with uh, in our group of friends um, was a producer from the States, from Houston. And um, so he basically documented our trip. And although I say I don't like being in front of the camera, and I don't, um, on this trip, I was our host, so to speak. So I really loved it. It's, um, you know, I love traveling. It was fun. We did a fun events. Like we went bungee jumping. We did go, you know, to a skydive boogie and, and, um, traveled around. So, um, I was able to be the little host and, uh, and then carried on from that trip and was thinking more about what I wanted to do, you know, in school and university. Again, I've been now about four years away and uh, I sort of looked at home. I'm from Calgary, Canada, and there's a program here that they offer like a two plus two. So I knew I wanted to go to university, but I also wanted to learn all this production stuff and editing. So I took TV production at a tech school. Um, at SATE and uh, did also university and got a communications degree because I that was important to me also. So I, um, yeah, that was sort of how it got started. I came home. I remember phoning my parents from a pay phone uh, just outside Melbourne, Australia. It was like, I know what I'm going to do. And um, then looked how I, you know, what I needed to do to get into school and and registered for the following fall and came home and uh, also was working and that was it. And then it was four years uh, of school. And, um, and there I learned the whole the behind the scenes, the tech production. And I'm actually, I'm a camera operator by trade. Um, I wanted to learn, I like taking photography or photos while I was also traveling. So I, um, yeah, so I did that and learned, you know, some editing very different than now. It was like, tape to tape or reel to reel. <laughs> it's not like it is now. So I have a lot to learn in the industry still, which is, um, which is great from when I first started. But um, yeah, that's how I got started in TV. I guess, um, to be more specific, my teacher at the time was a camera operator on the mobile trucks for sports. And he knew that I was interested in that. And that's sort of so when, you know, my second year in was, um, I was either getting hired or volunteering and doing that at um, some of the professional sports teams here. And that's kind of how I made my way in. When you said near the beginning um, that you, you, you were like saying, I got involved in skydiving. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't expect you to say that. And then I just was <laughs> hooked from there on. And now I feel like I want to see some of these videos. Yes. <laughs> They're all on like tape. Oh, okay. <laughs> That just sounds amazing. It sounds like a lot of fun, honestly. That's what I think of. And I love hearing people's just career journeys. So it's interesting to hear how that progressed. And you started touching on this more at the end, but if you could dive a little bit deeper into it on um, how that a background that you developed in TV transitioned into live events and what that's kind of looked like. Right. 
Um, so with having this love of sports, me, you know, playing like being an athlete, um, or at least thought I was, I wanted to be an Olympian <laughs> at one point when I was younger. Um, and I got into TV still, my dream was to go to an Olympics. So I had started working in professional sports te- with professional sports teams here on the mobile trucks. And I loved it. I started as a TVA. Um, so pulling cable, audio, camera, um, only a couple of times, not much for that. Um, and then I moved into more of the production stuff. So I became like an AD on a truck. So listening to the director and counting in announcers, talent, whatever um, we needed to do. So I kind of went that route. And with that was learning a lot about counting in, which is what we do now on our live events, you know, following those cue sheets. So I learned that idea of like counting and I was listening. I felt really you know, I didn't know it at the time, but I realized quickly that listening to a producer or a director on headset for years, you kind of understand how it goes. And it was like a my it was like training for me <laughs> without, um, you know, uh, other than just counting in and out for me as how I felt. Um, anyway, so the Olympics were coming to Vancouver, Canada. And so this was my opportunity to get into live events or to work on the trucks. I had thought that I would be going on Um, a mobile truck, maybe as a TVA or a floor manager or something. Um, And what happened is a friend of mine had, was called to see if he wanted, you know, was available to work as a venue producer at the uh, Vancouver 2010. And he said, no, but I know somebody who it's her dream to work in Olympics and we think she could do the job. And so maybe you should give her a call. So, um, that happened to be Carla Piper, who is a friend that Logan and I both know. So there, a dropped one name. <laughs> and um, Carla called me. I didn't know her, but I had worked with her husband. So her husband and I had also worked on the trucks together um, in the audio, like in audio. And uh, so her and I had, I had an interview with her. She asked him uh, as well, like, do you think Kelly could do this? And he said, oh, yeah no problem. I think she'll be all right. So, and we'll take care of her, which was really nice um, because they were all going to be working at this curling venue where I would be as the in-venue venue producer. So that's how it worked. That was my first opportunity. I went to workshops. I was very nervous. I was, you know, young and everyone else had lots of experience when they do these, you know, workshops and talk about what, how many games you've been to and I had never even called the show. So <laughs> it was, um, uh, it was, yeah, it was good, but the workshops were helpful. And, and I was really at the time really studious with it and really took care of my cue sheets to the second, very different than I operate now, but really detailed. And, um, and yeah, so it worked out. I worked with experienced people and they helped me and that was, that's how it kind of started. And then live events, I've never looked back. Very little TV ever since. So do <laughs> so. you mind de- defining when you said you were an AD just for, we always like to define. Uh, yeah, like an assistant director, associate director. So sometimes you're in the truck and you count down, you know, for the producer. Um, and other times you're, for instance, in hockey, I would be in the hallway. So when a player would come off the ice, I would coordinate with the communications department. We'd get that player. And then I would listen to the director producer he would count me in I'm counting them in and so forth so like nice. a, fl- a floor manager basically yeah yeah a floor director yeah super TV helpful I feel like for for folks to hear the the verbiage that is used because I know it's always one of those that can be kind of a, a barrier sometimes in events but um 
I think it's really interesting that you talk about how you had this dream of working for the Olympics. You yeah. achieved it. It seems like at a relatively early in your career in events. Um, but just to, to kind of highlight to listeners, it sounded like you were also very vocal about that dream to multiple people. It sounded like to your professor, to folks you worked with, so that then when the opportunity arose, you did come to mind versus kind of hoping it would just happen. Um, have you seen, like, how have you then kind of established yourself? Because I know you've worked now a number of Olympic Games, expanded into the other international high-level sporting events. Um, what do you think has helped you continue to foster those relationships and get those roles? Yeah, I think, I mean, once you get onto these Olympic games as well, um, it seems to be the same type of people. Like it's, it's not a, um, that work from game to games. And sometimes that's within the committee. And then sometimes that's also like a freelancer like myself. Um, for me, it certainly was about networking, you know, keeping contact with the people that you've met not also in, not only should I say in the, you know, in production and sport presentation, which is what we do for in venue or live event produ producing, um, but also with other functional areas, which in these big games they have that you make contacts that someone may be in logistics that helped you move a podium, you know, could be at the next games and they may have a contact that might know someone that, oh, we need someone for this venue or you know, you, you just try to, you make friends and they kind of become your family. I feel like every time I go away to these events, it's like summer camp, seeing friends again. So it makes it easy because it is sort of your work family to keep in contact with them and, and then get excited about new projects. And the more you go to work, I guess, or go to these events, you meet people that are going somewhere else. Like some, there's so many events going on. There's a lot of work for everybody. And I find like, although I might've been at Olympics, the next group might have been going on to a world cup, like a, you know, soccer or to a Pan American games or something like so many Commonwealth games. There's so many um, events going on and on these cycles, two years or four year cycles that um, you end up inevitably knowing someone that's working all over the place. And then you just kind of keep in touch and, and see what's happening. Um, the other thing that's important too, is like you make relationships with federations and that's, what's unique, I think, to, um, international sporting events is that they have sport federations that govern these events, um, or at least are, it's their event within, um, a big multi-sport game. And once you get to know them and they trust you and they can also advocate and say, I would like to have this person again that I worked with at the last games, um, and if you're fortunate enough, then that carries on as well. And then that's how that sort of momentum builds up where you end up starting to work, you know, games at summer games after summer games or winter after winter. And then every your calendar starts to fill up. So, yeah, I think to define for our listeners, too, when we talk about federations, it's like the sport, the governing body for the sport. Right. So, you know, we've done work right. with uh, the Federation for International Volleyball. So they would put on a lot of the international events. And so they're kind of like if you're in a corporate event or maybe you're a nonprofit, they'd be like your client. They're kind of the person that you're you're working with them, but you're also working with the games, whoever is doing that Olympic Games. And you're kind of making both of their dreams come true but in what you're doing. But um, right. they're like one of the stakeholders that we often in sports presentation have to answer to. That's right. Good. It's Thank so you. so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you you define you're defining these things because I, I'm coming from a perspective of I don't know anything about live sports I feel like like in any capacity whether it's events or 
sports. And anyway, so it's like, just thank you for inviting me into both of your worlds right now. I'm learning so much. And so I hope others are as well. Um, and Kelly, you mentioned this earlier, so I wanted to see if this was true. So we were curious how you defined what you do now. And I think I heard you call yourself a freelancer. So yeah. is that kind of, is that still true? And um, how do you define what you are doing? It is. I would consider myself a freelancer. I don't work for one particular company um, and also or in one specific sport or event for that matter. I, you know, I can sometimes work um, corporate events. I sometimes take my video background and I can work like if there's a TV project coming into town and I happen to be available and there's something that I can help with, then I can do that. But yeah, as a freelancer, that's where you get these contracts. Um, you know, you either can work lots or little. So the one thing that's also an incentive to network and to keep in touch is that if you don't work, you don't get paid. So, um, you know, that's kind of, you are your own boss and your own like business owner. So you really want to work hard to build relationships and, um, and yeah, find those events and, and you find people event, I think, you know, after a while, the people you really love to work with and the people you share the same values with. And then, although you're a freelancer, you kind of become a permalancer and you start to work with the same people and, and they really do, you feel like you do have a, a proper work family and work or a job because, yeah, you go to the same people all the time. So certainly not lonely. <laughs> it's, it's fun. Yeah, we talk about on this podcast a lot, the idea of community over competition. And we we had a great interview that's going to come out. It was uh, two episodes ago um, with Natalie Frank all about that. And so the power of why you should network and work with people who do similar things to you because you never know, you know, how right. like your, like your mentality, Kelly, I feel like I... I felt that in the sports world before I really felt it elsewhere. And I was so shocked to be like, these are my people. And they're, you know, we're all competitive because we all come from sports, but also like, it's like a competitive camaraderie where we all just want to challenge each other to do better versus uh, like a closed offness of saying, oh, this is my gig and you can't come in because you're going to, you know, maybe you'll do better than me and that's a problem or you'll take this from me kind of that more of the um, mindset that there's abundance and that there's plenty of gigs. Um Absolutely. And that was something I had to learn also. I mean, I know when you, when you're first new into the industry, you do feel like you do want to like close up and hold, you know, things close to your chest and not in case you're worried that somebody else might take something or are you ner like, you know, do you feel bad because your friend got a job, but you didn't get a job, you know, like you really, that is one thing that I felt like that was something I had to overcome early on in my career is that, being happy for everyone and knowing that there is abundance, just like you said, Logan, um, there's enough work out there for everyone. And we all have different interests and, and not to compare yourself to others. That was one thing as well, because each producer does something different. Um, you know, and so rather like I used to stress myself out, like I haven't done what they've done. Am I doing a good job? <laughs> you know, And then after a while, you're like, no, you're doing a great job. You know, you have to remind like I'm doing what I should be doing. I'm just doing it different. And so that was one thing as a freelancer for me. Definitely. I had to learn. And you're saying a lot of like phrases that we love to talk about here on the podcast. So you're just, it's so amazing to hear you um, kind of confirming that, I guess, for us. Uh, we love the community and the event community and definitely plenty to go around. And so yeah. it needs to ring true, which is so great to hear, even in whatever event industry that you're a part of. So that's awesome. That's right. 
And then, so you kind of shared a little bit about the lessons that you've learned um, from your first year as a freelancer. I'm sure that they're just immense. There's probably so many things we're all always learning <laughs> just continuously. Is there anything else that, you know, if someone um, was thinking, oh, this sounds really interesting, I, I want to maybe pursue this path, anything that you can share with them that might be interesting to them as they're trying to get into freelancing? Yeah, I think like for me, at least when I was in school, one thing I felt that um, worked for me is that I volunteered a lot. I did not, there was the NHL lockout and where I live, we only have two sports teams. And, and so there's not a lot going around and it's two different seasons. So once hockey was out, there wasn't a lot. And that was all that I had known. I wanted to work on the mobile trucks and do sports. So I volunteered. There was still like, you know, um, junior hockey that was going on. And so I would go and rent out a tripod and camera and, and then just go to um, those games, try and see if I could get a pass to go in and I would practice shooting. I went with my camera and I went and just shot um, footage of the ice or of the game. So the um, I had friends, what happened with that or what, how that also helped me networking is that a lot of the sports networks that would normally cover professional teams were also now covering these junior teams. So the news networks were there. So I learned to, I met a lot of those camera guys and they were helpful um, and would, you know, it was like getting an extra training above school, but also making more connections and contacts so that when I graduated, they were eager to help me get jobs by like letting, you know, those who hired from on the trucks, the project, project managers or the hiring, um, you know, we're okay to say, Hey, we know this girl, she's been here. She's been putting in the effort. She really wants to do this. And they vouched for me. So it was it, that for me is what helped me, I think, get my start. And I honestly feel if there is anyone that's new to the business or they're a student, um, get out there, volunteer, um, just go practice and, or job shadow, like shadow. If you can, I still shadow when I can, if there's a, you know, a director that I know that's coming into town and I haven't been, you know, in a TV truck for a while. I always ask if I can go and sit, if I'm in town, just so I can see what they're doing and if I can learn. So I think job shadowing, volunteering is um, helpful. Yeah. I do want to plug one of our old episodes. I think it was episode 40 about show calling 101, where we kind of dive into a little bit of what Kelly you've touched on with like the cue sheets and the queuing and I think one of our takeaways there was advice you'd given me was just spending time on headset. Cause like you said, there's no way to one, one way to do it, but like learning how everyone, uh, how other people do it. And then you can kind of pick and choose what works for you um, as you kind of craft your, your style. Um, but to keep in thinking about the freelancer piece um, I feel like you've definitely established yourself with some annual gigs and annual projects or every two years, every four years. Um, so what, how did we talked about, you need to be putting yourself out there and networking, but as something else you and I have talked about is just how patient you sometimes have to be. So how could you talk about that a little bit more of how does being patient help you book gigs? Yes. Okay. So patience comes in a lot, uh, many different forms in the event world. Um, patience, yes, knowing and trusting that it will come. Um, I think just don't get discouraged if you're not getting hired right away. Again, it takes time to build. I had um, worked at an agency up until 2014 as well while I was working on the trucks um, and was taking time away to go to these events. So it was good for me. I was able to kind of network a little bit. But right before uh, the Sochi Olympics, I quit 
And the only freelance or the only gig I had coming up was Sochi. Um, so I knew I was going to be there from, you know, January to March. And, um, and then I had absolutely no clue what I was going to do after that. So uh, I did meet someone that was, um, that had been working in one of the venues and, you know, was just telling my story and saying, I was a little bit nervous. They were asking what I was planning on doing next. And I said, I don't know. This is all that I know. I have no idea. <laughs> I hope something comes up. And he had said to me, he's like, well, sometimes you have to empty the cup to fill it back up. And I thought that is great. So, uh, you know, it made me feel a little like, yes, I've gotten rid of like the other things I was doing in my life to focus on doing um, freelance. So it did take some time. I'm not, you know, I'll be honest. I, there were times, you know, 2017 where I thought I need to get a new job. I like this is, a, you know, because it ebbs and flows so much. So you have, sometimes you're really busy and sometimes you're not. And then I'm not sure what happened, whether I changed my focus or things just started to fall into place. But eventually, well, I never changed my job. Here I am now, 2022, right? Almost 2023 and, and things are full. So it's nice. Like there are all the annual gigs. And, and now when I get the breaks, I embrace those moments and, and try to, you know, enjoy that downtime and spend time with my friends and family because for the majority of the time I'm on the road and then that's, you know, that's not for everyone, but it's something that I love because it combines the travel and events. So, yeah. So I was patient with that. Um, not every day, <laughs> of course, like I said, 2017 in September wasn't great. <laughs> it was a lot of writing notes about, okay, how can I look forward? Where am I going here? Um, but that goes back to what you were talking about, Mary, is it just perseverance, right? So, um, and or Logan, you might've mentioned it. So it's, yeah. So that's what um, I've tried to do is just stay focused and persevere through the good and the bad. Honestly, what a good perspective. And um, as we're thinking through some additional tips, is there anything else that you want to add about your journey that you think would be helpful for listeners to hear? And then also if someone is interested in getting into show calling or producing more specifically, any tips for them? Yeah, I think, you know, follow your path. I think that's what I can, if I look back to, you know, sitting on those sidelines going, that would be really cool to be there. I feel like when I go to work, it's not work. I, like I would, if someone said they had an event and it's going to start here, I need you for like the full weekend, but I don't have any money. I'd be like, that's okay. <laughs> Cause I love it. It, um, it doesn't feel like work and the long days, there are long days, um, but it doesn't, um, you know, I want to be there. So I think follow your passion, honestly. Like, even though I took camera, I found a niche that worked for me. And that was as soon as I put that headset on, that worked. I love it. I love feeling that like, okay, everybody, let's do this. Like, let's get set. And um, that makes me feel good. So I enjoy being there. And I think if you're happy and you enjoy being there, everyone else around you is going to be happy. And not only those who work with us, so is the people sitting in the seats in the venue. So I, I do think, you know, follow what it is that you love. And, um, and I think, I know that sounds a bit cliche, but I, it, it's worked for me. So I, it's not cliche to me. I do think it, um, and you'll, you'll enjoy doing it and then it won't feel like work. So is there anything else, Kelly, that you want to add for our listeners today? I think I, Again, like it just goes back to that, you know, be passionate about what you do. 
Don't um, fear if someone else has the job and you didn't get one, there will come. So, you know, stay on the course and don't get discouraged. Um, and I think just collaborate as much as you can. I think in our world and in our events, like I'm constantly learning. I learn from volunteers. I learn from other producers. I, I learn from everyone and like in either ways to do something different or ways to, you know, organize or show call or get fans excited, like all those kinds of things. So, and everyone has ideas. So I think just don't be shy in terms of like talking to people where you're at and, and letting them know what your dream is. Because as you said, I did, I was vocal about that. And, and Olympics has been a blessing for me for, you know, since 2010. So well, and so many, I, I want to, I forgot to mention it earlier, but I feel like so many of the roles that you've filled at these events are not necessarily published somewhere online with an open application period. A lot of times these are teams that folks have, they staff up based on networks. Um, and so right. being vocal about it helps make sure that, that you're getting them put in that pool um, versus like a Google search. Right. And there's the live event portion and there's the TV portion. So like there's more options, right? Like we still do have some of the same skill sets. So there's, again, lots of opportunity. Well, we do like to end with some sentence finishers. So Kelly, our first one for you is your favorite quality in a manager is? Someone who listens. And then what about your favorite productivity tool is? My favorite productivity tool. Hmm. Also good question. You know what? I think it, it must be like do most of my stuff on Excel. So like, you know, writing those cue sheets and stuff, that's the tool I use the most. And a stopwatch. Stopwatch. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Got to stay on time, you know, down yeah, to the second. Exactly. I back time my life now. <laughs> <laughs> and final question is something you're looking forward to this year, whether business or personal is? this year. Well, I'm off to Doha. So in a couple of days, and I am really excited for the upcoming World Cup, because I look forward to that's a first for me. So that is something that I'm super excited about. That is awesome. Well, we're excited to kind of see your journey. So if listeners want to follow along, or find you, where would be the best place for them to connect with you? I know, Mary, we talked about this. <laughs> uh, sorry, listeners. Um, I don't do a lot of social media, but I but I I am on LinkedIn. Um, and if you ever want to reach out that way, I can certainly uh, find other ways to communicate after that. So that would be the easiest. LinkedIn works. That's <laughs> LinkedIn perfect. works. And then just look for down on the field, running around with the headset on. Exactly. Right? That's, that's right. Yeah, you'll see. Exactly. <laughs> Some are rolling up my sleeves. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kelly, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure getting to speak with you. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you both. It was really nice to be on your podcast and best of luck on the next ones. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks you guys. And now that brings us to another fun part of the episode that we love, but our bonus tip before we wrap up, Mary, you have our bonus tip this week. Yes, I do. So our bonus tip for this week actually kind of goes with this topic a little bit because it's about, um, well, it came from the idea of sports. And so I was talking to a friend of the pod of ours, Laura Yarbrough Lloyd, and she was mentioning she was recently working an event and she said they had a quiet room for the players. I don't know if that's a thing with sporting events or not usually, but there was a quiet room for them just to like take a minute. And she was like, you know what? Event professionals need a quiet room at events. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. I'm going to share it on the podcast for a bonus tip because 
wow, do we need a minute sometimes when we're working events? Like, so uh, yeah, that's my bonus tip is if there's some way you can be creative or if there's a budget, but I bet you could be creative about it just to create a little space that's not a bathroom that you could go and just take a minute. So that's my bonus tip for today. Like an extra office. You have like the working office and then the choir room. Love that. Thank you so much, Mary. And that brings us to the end of our episode. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Better Events Pod. You can send us an email at bettereventspod at gmail.com. And as always, we appreciate you all for listening and helping us grow this community. And we'll be back in your ears again next Wednesday. Wednesday.